We just thank you for this time of praise and, and worship. We thank you for the kids um, who've gone out to their programs, Lord Jesus. Um, we just pray that um, in this time we put you at the centre of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Um, yeah, unexpected things happen, Lord Jesus, but we know that you are in control. I pray for us as a congregation this week um, as we go out and and be amongst um the people in our workplaces and and whoever we experience or come into contact with, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would be with us, that we would sense ourselves around you and just speak life and speak love to those around us. We think of the world that we live in, Lord Jesus. There's so much chaos, so much going on, Lord, but I just pray that we keep ours centered to you, um, that you would guard us and you would be with us in everything that we do, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the people, Lord Jesus, in this church. And each of us is going through our individual struggles, Lord, and we know that you've placed us here for a plan and a purpose, and we thank you, God, for that. We thank you that you are always with us. Thank you that we can keep our eyes on you, Father. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know what we're going to do now. Thanks, Dan. Well, let's do that, eh? Let's uh, raise up our young kids uh, as they come and, um, yeah, hear from Sam this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're just uh, so thankful, Lord, for the children in this church. We just pray, Father, that you will just uh, open their hearts to, to your message that is of pure grace and love towards them. And we just we ask, Lord, that the youth and the children of this church will just be, um, yeah, touched anew with your with your spirit, that Holy Spirit, you will uh, rise up something in them that will be life changing. And uh, as Sam comes and talks to them about baptism, just at this moment, and uh, we're we're thankful that it's taking longer than it might, that he may, uh, um, yeah rise up something in them that they may not have thought they were ready for, Lord, but that um, we, we want to see disciples build up in this church, Lord. Bless bless these kids. We just, uh, yeah, we'll just take a moment. We'll just, Lord, we'll just put up our hands and think of our children, Father. Thank you for them. And may that the may that they come to know you in a, in a real way, a true way, Lord, that you'll, um, yeah, that they'll, they'll follow you, Father, and, and, and answer the call for baptism. Bless them, Jesus. Mm. Maybe while we wait, if anyone else wants to pray too, just uh, yeah, shout out a prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being patient. I just want to add my welcome to, to Wayne's. Uh, if you're watching online, perhaps for the first time, or if you're a guest with us uh, for the first time here at Hills, my name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here, and it's a joy uh, to minister to you. Um, Sue had a word this morning as, as you, were, you were reading there, and it was saying something about when God speaks a word that it would touch your lives. And I pray that that be the case this morning for each and every one of us, and uh, if you're watching online as well. That as we, as we go through God's word, 
that it would become alive and that would do a work in your life this morning. Amen. Well, we have been uh, going through our series of Acts. We're almost there. I was thinking we might be finished by Easter, but no, there's just a couple of shipwrecks to happen and things still to come, but that's okay. Um, and we're, we're going get, to get into that. But before we start, I actually want to start with a bit of a survey this morning. I want to survey the congregation. I want you to put your hands up if you love surprises. Yeah, there's some people who love surprises. You're okay with your routine being interrupted, your plans all being thwarted and, yep, being surprised by something. Who here doesn't like surprises? Some other people. Okay, now speaking to the married people, who here is married to the person who likes the opposite? Yeah, okay. We're going to be doing a counselling session after this service, just for you guys, because I understand how that is. I love surprises. Uh, I love uh, that, and Joe cannot stand it. She likes to know what's happening. But um, you might be wondering why I'm start like that. We're going to get into that. But in the same way that there are people that like surprises and then they don't, I think there's also two different people who react to surprises. There's one camp that go whoa, I didn't see that coming. And there's some other people that say, yeah, I saw that coming a mile away. There, there is that discernment from some people who can see into things and go, I saw that coming or I anticipated that and my wife's a bit like that. I, can, I could see that coming and I'm a bit, whoa, where'd that come from? So just to recap, we... Uh, at the point where Paul's been in prison for two years, the Jews are out to get him. He's been on trial. Uh, Felix and Festus, the governors, have been putting him on trial, trying to get something on Paul in order to charge him, uh, in order to, to take his life, if that's what the Jews wanted. But they, the Romans had law and order. They couldn't do it without charging Paul. They couldn't get anything on Paul. And so Festus now is in a, a bit of a pickle because Paul has appealed to Caesar. He's going to go to Rome and appeal his case before Emperor Nero. And in order to do that, Festus is thinking, well, I better send him with a piece of paper with some sort of charge. And he's, he's thinking, how am I going to do this? And King Agrippa, which is King Herod, he's one of the Herods that we see in the Bible, And he's well-versed, the Bible says, in Jewish customs. Now, he's paying a visit to Festus. He's doing his rounds of royal duties. And Festus says, aha, this guy is a bit of an expert in Jewish law. I'm going to get him to question Paul and see if I can get some answers out of him. And so that's where we are. We have this... This situation that's drama that's set up where the king comes in with all of his pomp, his crown and his robe and all his officials and they're all high and mighty and then in comes little Paul. It's interesting that the Jesus Storybook Bible said that his name was Paul which means small and humble. Here we had a small, humble guy who was on trial but in turn he's going to turn the trial uh, on to them. And so this is, this is the background into Acts 26, which is where we're up to this morning. But just a reminder of who Paul is in front of. He's in front of King Herod Agrippa II. His father was the one who beheaded uh, 
James, the brother of John. His grandfather was the one who beheaded John the Baptist, and his great grandfather was the one who had all the children in Jerusalem killed at the time of Jesus at Bethlehem killed at the time of Jesus' birth. So we're kind of thinking, hang on a minute, are we, is Paul going to follow suit here? <laughs> All these Herods who like taking off the heads of Christians, Paul is now standing, is he going to have his head taken off by this king? So he is all powerful and mighty and and pompous, and yet Paul wants to convert the king. Isn't that great? Here he is, he's on trial. I I bet that each and every one of us, if, if we were in this situation, we would be pleading our case. We'd be trying to get off. We'd be saying, I've done nothing wrong and, and here's my witnesses and uh, like get me out of this situation. But Paul takes this and turns it into an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he wants to save the life of the king. In fact, we're going to play a game throughout this morning. I want you to take note of how many times Paul says King Agrippa personally because Paul is addressing the king and he's going to say, oh, King Agrippa. So as we go through, see if you can count how many times. All right, so on to verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defence. King Agrippa, that's one. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so because you are so well acquainted. In fact, the King James Verse says you are an expert with all Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, when you say something like that, obviously you're not going to be short. You're going to be going a long time. But first of all, Paul was ready. He was keen and ready to go. When King Agrippa said, you have permission to speak, he didn't go, oh, what now? Oh, um, well, uh, what could I say? Um, uh, uh, like, like he was prepared. He was ready. Remember what Peter uh, says in his epistle. He says, always be ready to give an answer or give a defence or an apologetic for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what Paul was doing. He had two years in prison. I'm sure he was, he was formulating stuff in his mind, ready for such an occasion as this. He was ready. And you and I should be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus when the opportunity presents itself. So here, here he is. He's, he's ready to go. He's, 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 he's off and running. And he says, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. The, the, again, the video said that. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He's, he was a good uh, person who followed the law. He was a Pharisee. From beginning of my own, of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify if they were willing, but they weren't because no one was willing to show up that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. So he's basically setting up saying that one of the things against Paul was that he started up a new sect, that Christianity was a new new religion and, and Rome didn't like new things. It had to be part of what they said was okay to be be there. And the Jews was one of the religions that was okay. And Paul's saying, 
I am a Jew. I lived as a Jew. I am part of them, those who are accusing me. I'm part of their culture. This isn't something new and outside. It's come from within Judaism. And I've lived the strictest way of a Pharisee. Then he says in verse 6, Now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. It is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. Paul's defence is this. Jesus shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus has been promised throughout all of Scripture. And as we look at the Old Testament, as we look at the prophets, as we look at Moses, as we look at King David, as we look at the Psalms, as we look at uh, all of those prophetic things about the becoming of the Messiah, it is all there. And it, it should not be a, oh, I didn't see that coming. It should have been a, I saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> because it's all there, guys. I began to start a list of some of the promises that God has made about the coming of the Messiah, and I had to give up because it was going to take me a long, long time. There are over 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament, and things like things that Jesus couldn't just manufacture and go, oh, this is written about the Messiah, I'm going to make that happen, because you can't, you can't manufacture where you're born and one of the prophecies is Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You can't manufacture that he would be born of a virgin. That, that's all prophesied. But I started. So Abraham is called out of the land of Ur, and God says all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, through your offspring. One is coming who is going to deliver people forever. And he reiterates that in Genesis 23, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth, not just the Jewish, but the Gentiles will be blessed. And then to Isaac, he says the same thing. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give them all these lands through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Then Isaac, then to Jacob, and then Jacob's Children made the 12 tribes of Israel and Judah from the line of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Genesis 49, the scepter would not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he, Jesus, to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And then to King David, Samuel prophesies this, when your days are over, King David, and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father, and he'll be my son. Interesting. And we can go on and on and on with how Jesus should not have been a surprise for the particularly those who studied the scrolls, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, that they read it. And it's like it's it's there, it's in front of you, and you're missing it. So Paul's saying, this should not be a surprise. Sometimes you know, we read through the Word of God and we miss 
the obvious when it's right in front of our faces. In fact, one of the um, questions that right from the very get-go of this um, this series that I, I asked was, as you place yourself in the narrative, narrative of Acts, what are you surprised by? And what challenges your own thinking? Maybe as I went through the, the list of how many times people believed and were baptised, maybe that's starting to surprise you or challenge you in your mind about your own walk with Christ. So he talks about the promise that it was coming Jesus is anticipated, and then he says, this promise, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. And he says, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? It's a great question. Why should, you, why should it be a surprise. Why should it be out there that this is a strange thing, that God raises the dead? If God created the heavens and the earth, if God sustains all things, if he is the beginning and the end, if God is all-powerful, then it shouldn't be surprising that God can do such a miraculous thing. Does it surprise you that God can raise the dead? Is that a surprising thing? I think how we answer that question helps us to think about how we view God. Because if we find it surprising that such a thing could happen, maybe our view of God is too small and that we need to see that God is all-powerful, all-loving, omnipotent, good, faithful, and it should not be a surprise that he does something like raising Jesus from the dead. So I'm going to skip over some of the verses. He, he goes to talk about how he went to persecute those who believe uh, in Jesus. And then we come to verse 12, and this is the third time we've heard this testimony of Paul in the, in the book of Acts. And just like the video said, on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests about noon, King Agrippa, As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Shaul, Shaul. That's me speaking in Aramaic. (laughs) I'm not not well-versed in Aramaic, but I think it's got a H in it in Aramaic. So Shaul, Shaul. Why do you persecute me? And Jesus says to Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What on earth is he talking about? (laughs) What does that mean? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, what Jesus was saying was a very well-known saying amongst uh, the people in those days. We have sayings in culture that if another culture heard it, they'd say, what are you talking about? Um, the colloquial sayings. We might say, you've got a chip on your shoulder or that's a piece of cake. That's going to cost you an arm or a leg. Uh, it's time to get back to square one. You're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, stop beating around the bush. What's the matter? Cat got your tongue. Will you just cut to the chase? It's time to knock it out of the park. Like We've got these sayings in our English language that we understand what that means, but if you think about it, it's... 
if a non-English speaking person heard those things, they think, what are you talking about? So let's, let's understand what on earth is Jesus saying when he says it is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad was a sharp, pointy stick that a farmer would use to prod an oxen. As he's ploughing the field, here's, here's a picture of him holding a goad. And as the oxen is ploughing, sometimes an animal would be stubborn and they go, no, nah, I'm not going that way. I've had enough work for today. And the farmer would prod them with a pointy stick and get them going again. And every now and then, the animal would kick back against it. It's like, don't you prod me. But all they're doing is hurting themselves by kicking against the sharp thing because the farmer's way is going to happen whether they like it or not. They are going to keep ploughing the field. (laughs) And if you kick against that sharp thing, you're only hurting yourself and there's no point doing it because it's just going to keep prodding you and you're going to need to keep ploughing anyway. So that's what a goad is and that's what the saying means, to kick against it, is that the, the far, that God's, Jesus' will for Paul is going to happen. And, and Jesus is prodding him. And, and all of Paul's life, he's been kicking against it. He's been, no, no, it's not the way, it's not the way, it's not the way. And all he's doing is hurting himself and it's pointless doing it. One of the, the ways Paul was kicking against the goads was he could not comprehend and understand and deal with the spread of the gospel. He's trying to stop it. But God's gospel cannot be stopped. We sing that song, you cannot be stopped. God's ways are going to happen. His will is going to come about. And there's no point kicking against it because you're only going to hurt yourself, Paul. And so this is a picture of an ox goad uh, from the day. A fun fact, I like giving fun facts, in Judges, a judge was raised up called uh, Shamgar who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. There you go, saved Israel. So Jesus is saying to Paul, it is hard for you to go against my will, but in a way it's kind of pointless because I am Lord of all. And at the end of the day, every knee will tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's going to happen whether you like it or not. And when you, when you go against me, when you fight against me, you're only hurting yourself. Now, I think this is really profound for each and every one of us as we live our, our Christian lives. Because Jesus said to Paul, it's hard for you to kick against goes. Jesus says to each and every one of us, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Because as we declare that he is Lord and he is sovereign and we align ourselves to him, we need to go the way he's calling us. We need to live the way that he's driving us to live. And every now and then he'll prod us and say, hey, what about that thing? What about that behaviour? What about that relationship? What about the attitude? Because I love you and I want this for your life. I want you to go this way. And, and you're stopping. 
or you're, you're going off course. And he, said, and, he, and he pokes us. And every now and then we kick against it. But friends, we're only hurting ourselves when we go against his will for our lives. So he might be saying to us, hey, there's, there's a relationship breakdown in, in, in your life and you need to go and show forgiveness. And you go, no, I'm not going to forgive that person. And you're only hurting yourself because you become more and more bitter. Or he says to us, what about that unresolved sin in your life? You really need to sort that out to, to be a better person. And we say, no, nah, not that one. I like that one. And you're only hurting yourself. Or what about, I, I desire you to be a generous, giving person, to serve in the life of the church, to prioritise serving and loving and giving to the community of God. Oh, I like my time by myself. (laughs) Or what about the ultimate one, your salvation? Is Jesus calling you to align to him? Is Jesus calling you to walk daily with him? Is he, as you've been perhaps going through this series and things are percolating and he's like, yeah, I need to actually surrender my life to Christ. I need to follow him. I need to be led by him. There's no point me fighting it anymore because a day is coming when he will come again to judge the living and the dead and is pointless kicking against it because that is reality. That is going to happen whether we kick against it or not. So let's get on board with what he has for our lives. All right, move on. Is the Holy Spirit prodding you this morning? Is the Holy Spirit prodding you? What is he saying to you? Then Paul says, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And now this is the gospel. (laughs) I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. Paul saw in a new way the reality, the truth of who God is, and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Hallelujah. Isn't it great that that is what Jesus has done? That it is not about our works, it is not about our efforts, but that he has come to open our eyes to realise what life is all about, who God is, who we are, that has set us free out of our blindness, out of our darkness, out of the power of sin and death, into light, into life, into, into all that he has for us as children of God. And all we need to do is declare faith in him and what he's done for us. That is the biblical truth right then there in the words of Scripture. 
And so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then to the Gentiles. Where have we heard that before? Those who have been following along with the series of Acts? Ever notice a repeat there? You'll be my witnesses, Jesus said to the disciples, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Paul is stating the same thing. To those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the end of the earth, to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. And that is why some of the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I love that verse, that God has helped me to this very day. I bet Paul's like looking back on his ministry life from from that very moment on the road to Damascus to learning to see again in a different way to his his early sort of ministry journeys and then the, the sent out missionary journeys. And they were hard times. They were times when it would be easy to give up. But Paul says, God has helped me to this very day. Through it all, through everything, thick and thin, God has been there for me. And I think it's great that we start well. Paul started on the road to Damascus and he had this vision and he started well, but he continued on to every day God has helped me. And I, that's my prayer for each and every one of us that we would get to the end and we would be able to declare that every day, the highs, the lows, the hard times, the good times, the, the times we need to persevere, that God has been by us and helped us by our side. And so now he comes back to his original point that Jesus should not be a surprise. I am not saying anything beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. It's, it's, it's right there, guys. Read it. That the Messiah, here's the gospel again, would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead and would bring a message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul says this is the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day he was raised to life. That's the good news of Jesus. And it says it all through the Old Testament, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to be raised from the dead and bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Paul's giving this great um, personal address to the king and he's unpacking the Old Testament. He's saying that this isn't a surprise, that if you know the customs and the way of the the Jewish people that the Messiah was coming and this was anticipated. But Festus, who isn't well-versed in the things, (laughs) he's he's listening to all this and he bursts into it and he interrupts it and he says, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. And... Basically, you know, he's saying, we were talking about sayings before, he's politely he's saying, you know, you're one stubby short of a, short, of a six-pack, your lights are on but no one's home, you've got a screw loose, 
you're off for your rocker, you're a fruitcake, you're one sandwich short of a picnic. I'm sure you guys have got some other ones along those lines. But that's what he's saying to Paul. He's like, you're crazy, Paul. You're going mad. And I love Paul's answer. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Often when someone is mad, what they're saying doesn't make sense. What they're saying isn't rational. But Paul is declaring, what what I'm saying is clear, it's concise, it's rational, it's, um, it's logical, it's reasonable. I love... Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, and I know many many of you have read those books many a times, as I have. Um, and in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when Lucy first, well, the second time she comes out and she's saying to her brothers and sisters, there's this land called Narnia, and, and Peter and Susan, well, Edmund at that stage had been in, but he was denying it, and they're, they're saying, Lucy, you're crazy, you're mad, and they don't know what to do with Lucy. And they go to the uncle, to the professor, and the professor says these amazing words. He says, you only need to look at her face and listen to her talk to see that she's not mad. In other words, she's making sense. She's not irrational. She's not out of control. And what she's saying, and, of course, he was in Narnia previously, so he he knew that anyway. So Paul, and that's the thing about the apologetics, when it comes to um, sharing our faith in Christ, it is not something that is irrational, it's not something that's out there and mad, it's not something that doesn't make sense, but it's actually very logical, very rational and very logical, making sense. In fact, if you look at a lot of the things like Case for Christ and things like that where people have researched who Jesus is, they've gone through and systematically made sense of putting a case together. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm not mad. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. And then he says the king is familiar with these things and I can speak to him freely and I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it is not done in the corner. Jesus was public ministry. This wasn't something that happened over in a little region over there and we now need to explain it to the whole world. Everyone knew what was going on and it wasn't done in in secret. And then he says this, King Agrippa, what what number are we up to? Five. (laughs) People have been playing a game. That's awesome. (laughs) King Agrippa. Do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Here he turns the trial around, Paul's on trial, but now King Agrippa is on trial. Because if King Agrippa admits to believing in the prophets, then he's actually admitting to what Paul is saying about Jesus being true. And he puts him on the spot. Now there's King Agrippa with all of his pomp and all of his high and mightiness and all of his friends that he likes to sort of do his parties with. And Paul's asking him a pointed personal question, do you believe? 
And I reckon, I reckon King Agrippa was embarrassed because if he said yes, what's that, what's that mean to his show? What does that mean to his, what he's presented and tries to make himself be? All of that goes away and diminished as he has to humble himself to the lordship of Christ. And I reckon that's a big barrier for many people is embarrassment. People hear the good news of Jesus, they, and it's reasonable and it's logical and it makes sense, and people ask, hey, is it time for you to say yes to Jesus, accept him into your heart, allow him to rule your life, to direct your paths? And people think, what is that going to mean for my friends? What is that going to mean for my social circles? What is that going to mean? And that's a big barrier for a lot of people. And I reckon it was a big barrier for the king because he replies in saying, then in King Agrippa, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Yes. <laughs> of course. And I love Paul's response. Short time or long, mate. Like, we can be here all day. I, I've, I've, let's have two years in prison where you just come and visit me. That's fine. We'll, we'll go through it. I don't care how long it takes, short or long, but I pray that God, to pray to God that not only you, but everyone in the room, everyone listening here, because I'm, I'm addressing you, but everyone's listening to this. <laughs> listening to me today will become what I am, become a Christian, become one who follows Jesus, who accepts him in my life, who has him as my Lord and my Saviour except for these chains that he was in. So then the king arose. He's like, okay, I've had enough of this. But remember, Paul's on trial. And him with the governor and Bernice, by the way, I didn't say this last week because the kids were in, but Bernice was his sister and he was living with Bernice. And those sitting with them, After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. They they came to the conclusion that Paul was correct. All that Paul was saying was right and that he's done nothing wrong that deserves death or imprisonment. And then Agrippa says this to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Oh, (laughs) Wonder, wonder what Paul was thinking oh, gee, maybe I shouldn't have appealed to Caesar. Maybe I could have been let off. But we know, don't we, that Jesus came to Paul and said, as you've been faithful to me in Jerusalem, so you'll be faithful to me in Rome. And Paul didn't know how he was going to get there. But as he appealed to Caesar, now the Roman authorities are going to pay for his trip and he's going to go to Rome. So here... In this passage, Paul really unpacks the fact that Jesus, the, the Jewish Messiah, was, was promised, it was predicted, it shouldn't have been a surprise, people should have seen it coming, and yet they didn't. And I, I just started thinking about this as I was preparing for this morning. I think, why were the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious leaders so blind to the fact that Jesus fulfilled so many of the prophets in the Old Testament. As Jesus spoke, even the words that he spoke would have, would have clicked them into certain passages of Scripture that they knew off by heart. 
Why were they so hardened? Why were they so surprised? And this is, this is my thinking here. This is, this is me putting some things together. There is a period in between the Testaments of 400 years where the voice of God was silent. So the book of Malachi is the last of the, the prophets, the last time where the words of God were written down to the people or spoken. Throughout all of the Jewish history, God would raise up judges or leaders or prophets or people who would speak the word of God, who would speak God's truth into the culture and into the situation. And this, this speaking of God's word would continue to, to keep that alive, to keep the sense of journeying with God. But then there's generation after generation after generation where there is no speaking, no word given, no voice of God into people's lives. I was thinking, what would have happened to those people trying to continue on with this tradition and this religion? Time after time, year after year, generation after generation, it would have got stale. Because without God's voice imparting into our lives, things get stale, things get dry, things burn out, things don't seem exciting anymore. And the things that used to excite us or drive us become just religion, just living good lives and doing what's right. And I reckon that's what the Pharisees were up to. That's all they had left because God's voice was no longer speaking into stuff. And I was thinking about this for us as we live our lives, that it is so important that we position ourselves in a way where we're constantly hearing the word of God, where we're constantly hearing Jesus speak to us. We're constantly having the Holy Spirit prod us because when we're not in that environment, when we, we don't come to sit under the word or we don't gather as in life groups or we don't you know, listen to, to things as we drive to work, as, as, we, as we go further and further and further from that, the longer and longer we, we remove those things from our lives, our walk with Christ becomes stale and it just becomes religion. And we need constantly the word of God to speak into us, to motivate us, to remind us, to bless us, to open our eyes to the truth, to the reality of who he is and what he's done for us and who we are in response to that. I am a sinner saved by grace. There is nothing special in me, but it is all because of what Jesus has done on the cross that I can be set free. And I need to hear that over and over and over and over again. Imagine going 400 years without hearing it. No wonder they were so blind. No wonder they were so stubborn. No wonder they were so calloused and hard. I want to invite the musicians up. And so we ask these questions at the end of our series of Acts. As you place yourself under the word this morning, what are you surprised by?
what challenges your own thinking? And as we learn about the distinctives or the priorities of the early church, the way that the gospel spread, that they just wanted to talk about Jesus, what can we discover or apply to our local context? And most importantly this morning, what is Jesus saying to you? Is the Holy Spirit got his goad out? Is he prodding you this morning? Is he making you aware of something in your life? He's saying, this is what I have for you. Walk in it. Live in it. Allow me to transform you, to work in you. Is perhaps this morning the moment where you say, yeah, it is rational. It is logical. I do believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he came to wash away my sins and he came to set me free. This morning, I want to come to Christ. I don't want to fight it anymore. I want to come to him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are all loving. We thank you that you have a plan, that your will will be done, that there is a day that you are coming and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord of lords. And Lord, we fight it so much. We kick against it but we know that ultimately we're only hurting ourselves. Lord, help us to submit to your lordship. Help us to walk in step with you, for we know that what you have for us is good and that we need not fear anything that you have for us. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is saying yes, I'm sick of fighting. I'm sick of being frustrated. Lord, I submit my life to you. Lord, we pray right now that you would come, that you would make your home in their hearts, that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would open up their eyes to you, that even as we sing this song, the truth of who you are would become alive and real in their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we declare that Jesus is our cornerstone, that he is our hope, he is our life, he is the reason that we live.
Thanks, music team. It's just great to finish on that song. Uh, Sam, thanks. Thanks for the message today. Uh, great teaching, but uh, an encouragement, a challenge, I think, for all of us. So um, my encouragement, I think, to myself and, and everyone here and joining us online, that if um, you felt the prod of the spirit or suddenly the pennies just starting to drop and you actually understand the reality of Christ and what he's done and how you've actually seen him work in your life and you'd like to, yeah, just make a step and uh, give your life to him, I'd just encourage you to... Um, obviously talk to God about it, but if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning, go into the prayer room um, or talk to a friend that you know is strong in the Lord or talk to Sam. Um, they'd just love to pray for you uh, wherever you're at. And, yeah, there's just, as we see in the life of Paul, how someone that's actually totally against God has an encounter uses all those things that God's actually given him in terms of his abilities and experience, turns him around and actually gets on the right track and starts working with God and his whole life is different and his impact is great. Uh, I think that's something that's available to all of us. We're not Paul, but we've all got uh, different life experiences, different gifts that we can just use and to the benefit of others around us. So um, what a good thing that is. So um, I'll just leave you with that encouragement. Um, please hang around for a, a cup of coffee or tea and a chat as well. And, yeah, just encourage you to go into this week and just uh, walk close with God. Thank you.